0: Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your
1: podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is your Sunday Reset. Before Reset began in October, we knew we wanted to take a deep dive into disparities in the Chicago area. These disparities affect how and where people live, their education, their mental health services, and more. Our idea isn't just to acknowledge these disparities, but to understand where they come from and talk with people working to close those gaps, which is why we call this series Closing the Gap. Today and for the next several Sundays, you'll hear the first episodes in this series. We'll look at the stark life expectancy gap between some of Chicago's richest and poorest residents. Chicagoans in one section of Streeterville live to be 90 years old on average, while residents in a part of Englewood, nine miles to the south, live to be just 60 that 30-year gap, revealed in a recent study out of NYU, is the largest not just in the city, but in the nation. And it's not just Streeterville and Englewood. All across the city, wealthy white Chicagoans tend to live longer than black Chicagoans in low-income neighborhoods. So why does life expectancy vary so much from zip code to zip code and what's being done to solve the problem? Joining me now to help launch our Closing the Gap series are Dr. David Ansel. He's author of the 2017 book, The Death Gap, How Inequality Kills. He's also Senior Vice President for Community Health Equity at Rush University Medical Center. And Aisha Jaco. She's Executive Director of West Side United. It's a six-hospital collaborative dedicated to building community health, economic wellness, and vibrant neighborhoods on Chicago's West Side. She's also a faculty member at Northeastern Illinois University. Dr. Ansel, Aisha Jayko, welcome to Reset. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Ansel, let's start with you. I want to first thank you for carving time out for us. You came here after seeing patients. But let's talk briefly about this finding that Chicago has the largest gap in life expectancy among the U.S.'s 500 largest cities, specifically that 30-year gap.
2: Well, it's uh, profound. Uh, it's unacceptable. But it's not new, it's longstanding, and this is not new information. It's just newly risen to our national consciousness and certainly to the consciousness of the city. And what people don't realize this is that diseases are not just a matter of your belief, behaviors and biology, but place where you live and the conditions you live under, work under play in can have a profound impact on life itself. And it's very different for poor people in the United States than rich people. And it's very different regionally.
1: And I want to, for the sake of accuracy, it's important to say that the study we refer to, that 30-year figure cited, is about just one census tract in Streeterville that was then compared to one tract in Inglewood. It's not the whole neighborhood of Inglewood that had an average gap of 30 years. There's more diversity in life expectancy between the two neighborhoods. Ayesha, as I mentioned, you're with Westside United, and I saw you nodding there as Dr. Ansell was speaking. Tell me a little bit more about the work your organization does.
0: Sure. So Westside United um, is a collaborative of six health institutions that have come together to address the life expectancy gap by leveraging resources that live within those health institutions and those that are in surrounding communities across our 10 areas. And so basically it began with Rush University really looking at health equity as a central focal point of their mission and redirecting their focus to address the life expectancy gap, which became prominent after their community health needs assessment. And from there, a table was convened for institutions to really look internally around how to look at economic vitality as a collaborative that, if combined, would be the number one employer in the state of Illinois, that is the largest investor of the West Side. Um, And that has a lot of local spend power. They wanted to come together to think about how to impact the neighborhoods by looking at local hiring, procurement, and employee professional growth internally first, and then becoming more outward facing, looking at other social determinants of health and how they activate those as a collaborative and bring in multi-sector partners. And once that was designated it was very important to hit the ground and talk to the community about what hospitals found to be true, to make sure that that resonated with the needs of the community, to understand how they were perceiving this gap and what they wanted to see done to address it. And we found four things. People wanted safe neighborhoods, access to equitable education, they wanted jobs, and they wanted equitable access to health care. And so the work really launched from those two tables. I'm hearing you describe two things. One is a necessary
1: culture shift within the hospital system. And then the other has more to do with communication and maybe shifting the nature of the relationship between medical institutions and patients.
0: Can you talk about that a little more? Sure. So in talking to the community, we had 21 listening sessions where we talked to about 300 residents. And there's historical mistrust. People are used to seeing Uh, Big organizations come in, over-promise, under-deliver, and so what we didn't want this to be was another prescriptive model being rolled down from the top down to communities, dictating what the need was. So for us, it was critical to create a planning committee um, in our early stages of community stakeholders, 16 residents, 16 local leaders, coming together to help inform what we were looking to unpack and how we could build capacity. So for us, that's key. We heard from the community that we cannot build anything without them. Nothing for us without us is is some of the foundational principles that came from those conversations. And so for us, it was very important to lead with that and have community in the driver's seat along with institutions.
1: Dr. Ansel, you've worked across um multiple institutions in Chicago. And I'm curious how long the idea of applying an equity lens to health outcomes, how long that's been part of the conversation institutions are having internally.
2: Yes. Uh, Well, 41 years practicing on the west side of Chicago, starting as an intern at Cook County and spending 17 years there, 10 years at Mount Sinai, and now been at Rush, uh, literally in one neighborhood, and I call it One Street, Two Worlds, coming down Ogden Avenue. And I, as a doctor facing patients with uh, burdens of disease, premature mortality, I began to, and others began to think about, how do we put our heads around this? And it's not just health and healthcare. These gaps are largely driven by economic conditions, structural racism, educational gaps, the built environment in the neighborhood, and you start asking yourself, why did this happen? And I think these conversations began to have within the uh, institutions, certainly at Cook County Health System and Mount Sinai where I spent time, but over the last decade at a place like Rush. And we realized that if we were really going to improve health, that we had to get at these underlying neighborhood conditions that were producing poor health. And when people think of the West Side or think of Anglewood and they think of death gaps of of these magnitudes, people think, oh, it's violence. Uh, It's gun violence. But it's not just violence. Heart disease and cancer are the number one and two cause of premature mortality in all of these neighborhoods. But until you get to the underpinnings of economic vitality Uh, Things that have been out of the realm of health care, I call them the social conditions, educational achievement, how we can help with food insecurity and other gaps in the neighborhoods. This type of thinking is relatively new. But if you want to take care of sick people, come to a hospital. But if you want to improve health, health arises out of the community. I just want to say this, that the institutions have a historical built mistrust Um, And I think, uh, you know, you look at things like structural racism and owning up to our own obligation. We're at least responsible or accountable for the conditions in the neighborhoods because they've occurred kind of on our watch. Russia's been around for 180 years, Cook County Health, 180 years, Sinai, 100 years in these neighborhoods. There was there was more that we could do. But the more was has health and health care in it. But it really had to do with following the lead of the community and say, how can we leverage our economic power as organizations to improve the economic life in these neighborhoods?
1: So, Ayesha, what I'm hearing is that the work you're doing in West Side United required a, a more complex conversation within these institutions – Um, conversations that may not have been comfortable all the time because it it required this sort of clear-eyed view of the institution's role um, in the neighborhood and perhaps in reinforcing some of these disparities that existed. How difficult was it to have those conversations to get institutions to look at themselves critically?
0: I think uh, it's it was very important having a quarterback like Dr. David Ansel and the death gap um, be tools to help escalate those conversations. Um, Dr. Ansel was a champion and had power to bring his peers to the table and have them think in a way. So when you think about systems change at different levels, you need different key drivers and people to facilitate those conversations. So I think a plus in this work was being able to have peers come around the table and think about and really call out inequity in a way that it hadn't been done before. And I think the death gap, even for me coming to this work, before I knew about Westside United, I picked up the death gap. And I opened the book and was just blown away by the Ogden corridor where I grew up and spent a lot of time in. So even me personally being outside of this network initially, it touched me. So I, I would credit Dr. Ansel having the conviction and the urgency as a leader to convene a table of people to start these conversations.
1: And, and Dr. Ansel, in terms of um, getting your colleagues engaged in this conversation, was that, was that a difficult role?
2: Well, I first had to come to terms with it myself, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to come to terms with actually underseeing how structural racism actually works. And when it became visible to me, it took me many, many years before I could even say the words. And why? I had to do a, a root cause analysis on myself and say why was someone who was progressive in these neighborhoods doing this work. Why did it take me so long to name racism? And I think because I didn't see how my own unearned privilege opened doors for me, allowed me to be in rooms. And then when you're in those rooms, you don't want to offend people by being impolite, improper. But at some point in time, I realized that if structural racism, so interpersonal discrimination, You know, I make a comment towards you or someone makes a comment. Those are at least overt. What's heinous about this structural process is it's self-replicating. And unless you name it, uh, you can't even begin to think of how to dismantle it. And so, you know, you look at the west side of Chicago between 1970 and 2010, income has dropped between 20 and, say, 150 percent relative to 1970, whereas the north side of the city income has gone up between 20 and 250 percent. Capital investment in white neighborhoods is nine times that of black neighborhoods. Those are structural conditions. We had to begin to have the discussion around the table with the hospitals about this. And so we said this is not just a collaborative. It's a racial health equity framed collaborative. Bob Barish at University of Illinois, Jay Shannon at UI Health, Karen Teitelbaum at Sinai, Martin Judd at Amida, and others at Amida, Cody Sellers at Amida, the folks from Lori, Matt Davis, everyone was ready to be at this table. And I think people in healthcare are saying, what more can we do right now? So that table got set uh, in that way. And, and once it got set, we had to get people focused on this idea that we're going to take this death gap of 16 years between the loop and the west side when you're looking at larger community areas and have it by 2030.
1: Dr. Antle, I want you to, to set this conversation with a, a larger context for us. Right now, we're talking about um, health disparities specifically on the west side of the city. But zoom that len, lens out a bit for us and, and tell us what's happening across Chicago.
2: Yeah. So while we're focused on the west side, neighbors of a, 10 neighborhoods with about 550,000 people uh, there are large gaps in the south side, in the south suburbs, and it's not just a Chicago issue. It's actually a national issue, in fact, an international issue, largely tied to growing wealth uh, inequality or historical uh, inequality in wealth, but also whenever you concentrate poverty in neighborhoods and you limit social mobility, because everywhere you turn, there's nowhere to go, people suffer, people get sick and die uh, early as well.
1: Now, Westside United has been drawing input from hundreds of organizations and individuals, as you said, Aisha, on how to respond to the gap. Can you share with us some of the specific things you've been able to
0: take from the community and apply to this work? So in our launch in 2018, uh, we presented 10 strategies that we wanted to address across our four domains. And from those community conversations, there were these haunting report outs around what perceptions were for access to mental health. And we began to hear things like the biggest provider of mental health on the West Side is the Cook County Jail. And so we released an RFP for co-location of mental and behavioral health services for West Side organizations so that we could increase access for mental health. And we awarded that to three different organizations. So that was a direct response. We heard nothing for us without us. And so to date, we formed a community advisory council that will live and be withstanding throughout the life of West Side United. So these 18 members either live or work on the West Side. Six of them will move up and sit across from our hospital leaders and will serve as our executive decision making body so for us it's very important that we weave that in and have a pillar and that's that transparency that we hear from the community there's an urgency there's a need for trust building so this body allows us to have ambassadors on the ground that help us reach our goals of being very intentional and inclusive at every level of our work
2: But some of the things is direct investment. So we've gotten the institutions together to directly put capital in investments in the neighborhoods. It started with Rush, then Rush and Lurie, and now we have the Illinois Medical District and the AMA around the table. And to bring more into the – if the problem has been capital investment, let's now take money out of our endowments – and now invested on the west side of Chicago. And that's happening in a very organized way and with the idea to attract more capital into these neighborhoods because people need capital investments. Ayesha, talk about the small business grant pool piece that we started because that's pretty fascinating.
0: Definitely. So in our efforts to want to jumpstart small business development and revitalize corridors in some of our areas, we launched a small business grant pool in 2018 with support from Axiom where we had $85,000 that we granted to seven small businesses on the west side to build their capacity, to really focus in on how they could engage in local hiring. And so since then, we were awarded dollars from JPMorgan Chase to increase that fund to $500,000 this year. So we're looking to award up to 30 grants to small businesses to jumpstart the local economy in some of our communities. So we're very excited about that.
1: I want to talk about one institution we haven't discussed yet, and that's city government. Uh, Earlier this year, I spoke with Aisha Butler, Executive Director of the Resident Association of Greater Inglewood, or RAGE, about health disparities. And she shared some advice for Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her administration about who they should turn to for possible solutions. Let's listen. Um, Not necessarily these, like, larger institutions who are talking from a top-down approach, but really coming to the root. And I would say people like myself and groups like Rage and other groups, we are at the root. I live there. I see this every day. I know in the morning I'm not going to see anyone running. I know in yeah. the morning that the liquor stores are open as early as 10. Mm. So I would say have a conversation with folks like us and to really, really address it and, and name it. Again, that was Asia Butler, Executive Director of the Resident Association of Greater Inglewood, when you look at the role city government can play in closing these gaps, where do you think they can they can come in?
2: That's a great question. When we were convening this table, we said someone's got to convene a table, and who's going to convene? And we thought the government, but Laquan McDonald had just been shot. It didn't seem like the right time. I was actually kind of surprised. I thought the city had there was a plan. Can you just show me the plan for the West Side? Like, what are people thinking about? And there wasn't a plan. What there are, though, are quality of life plans that have been actually created at different community levels, which are plans made by, as Aisha talked about, made by community residents about what do they need. I think it's our job as institution institution, as is the city government, to follow those plans. What the city can particularly do is— sit at the table around planning, around uh, community needs, and bring capital into these neighborhoods. And I would say the last one is making sure that every school in Chicago is a top-performing level one school because these are the things that the city can do. But we also need the business community. You have to ask yourself, why did capital leave these neighborhoods? And why since 1970 did capital leave these neighborhoods? And a lot of it has to do with the unspoken attitudes, of, uh, collective mental maps we have about neighborhoods that make them bad. And it's not the graffiti, it's not the broken windows and the overflowing garbage that predicts neighborhood decline. It's people's attitudes about who lives in those neighborhoods. And if those people in those neighborhoods are black or minorities or immigrants, our collective consciousness says, Those are not neighborhoods we should go in or invest. in. yet people in these neighborhoods love their neighborhoods. We need to follow the lead of the neighborhoods. But we've got to get the business community to move operations into these neighborhoods. Because when you have operations like your billing departments or you put uh, retail in these neighborhoods, that's going to be critical for this. And the city can help with that as well.
1: Aisha, I'm going to turn to you to wrap up here. Through your work with your organization, what advice do you have for other grassroots organizations who are out there on the ground trying to close the gap in health disparities in the city?
0: We can't be afraid to call out or partner with organizations that have historically shown us otherwise. We have to call those organizations on the carpet. So I would say, as myself coming from a small grassroots nonprofit, Also coming in with skepticism for a thing of this magnitude, but seeing the intentionality and the passion from these health institutions has been life changing. And I think grassroots organizations should give them a chance and really work together on how they're going to implement their demands. Because without a collaborative approach, we're not going to meet this gap. That's Aisha Jaco of Westside United
1: and Dr. David Ansel of Rush University Health Center and author of The Death Gap as part of our new series, Closing the Gap, where we take a look at disparities in the Chicago area, hear from the people working to address them, and explore possible solutions. Aisha, Dr. Ansell, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you. And that's your Sunday Reset. Next Sunday, we'll bring you part two of our series, Closing the Gap. Until then, look for your regular weekday resets in your podcast feed. They drop around four o'clock Monday through Friday. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And let's talk again soon.